The testimony of the scriptures is that God judges with righteousness and equity. We read that in Psalm 98. That simply means, men and women, young people, that in his total righteousness, he recompenses unrighteousness. In his complete holiness, he rewards evil. And in his complete justice, he accurately punishes sin. It can be noted already, I trust, that these plagues that came upon Egypt were not just some frivolous events. But rather, God had an issue with Pharaoh. He had a controversy with him and with the nation. And so because of their harsh treatment on the children of Israel, their iniquity was exceeding great. And their cup of iniquity, we would say, was now full. And the time had come when the Lord would not spare and neither would he have pity. And men and women, if there's one thing among, I trust, many lessons that we ought to learn, even in these chapters, it is the grim reality it will be in having to face Almighty God. Because that is essentially what Pharaoh is being forced to do here. He's face to face with God. The sinner will not come before a mere human judge on that great and final day, but they will stand before Almighty God himself. And he has made it known, vengeance is mine. It belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And so, if in looking at these plagues and how they affected the people of Egypt. And it brings home to your heart that truly it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Then I say to you, dear loved one, that will be a blessing to your soul. We have said already that these plagues were directed particularly against the false gods. The first three plagues are against the river. But there are more than just freak events. They carry with them instead marks of judgment planned by God. And as we again give consideration to another of these, it ought to be remembered that they were inclusive. That means that they didn't only affect Pharaoh, but they rather they affected the servants. They affected the people. They affected the adults of the nation, but also the children. Because they too needed water, for example. They too didn't like locusts covering the ground and so forth and so on. And even in some respects, the animals themselves are affected. And since no homestead was exempt, the message of the punishment of Egypt it certainly is this, that none are beyond the judgments of God. That which is for our consideration this morning today, therefore, is simply the frogs. I want you to notice the respite, first of all. Not only are we given to see the various plagues and the one that followed, the one before, but there's also a note about the time scale of these events. You'll notice the interval, I think, if you bring in the closing words of chapter 7. It says, And seven days were fulfilled after the Lord had smitten the river. Seven days were it was the length span, the time scale that separated this second plague from that of the rivers being turned into blood. And that can only speak to me of the opportunity that Pharaoh had to repent of his refusal to let Israel go. 
Seven days he had to ponder what he had just witnessed. Seven days to repent of his rebellion in the face of Almighty God. What an opportunity that was for him to consider his ways. Seven days where God had withheld another judgment. I wonder how long has God's intervals been in your life. Where he has been patient. And long-suffering, giving you that opportunity to repent of your sin and to consider your ways. For let's take the lessons that we learn from these passages and let's apply them even to our hearts today. Furthermore, that interval was followed by an intercession with Pharaoh. Because the Lord commanded Moses to go in before him again. And to deliver the message that God had given to him. Verse 1, you have that message. Go unto Pharaoh, say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if he still refused, then he was forearmed. What would happen? What would take place? Verse 2, And if I refuse to let them go, behold, think of this. Stop and think of this. I will smite all thy borders with frogs. How gracious God is. Not only to give opportunity for Pharaoh to consider what he had just witnessed in the turning of the rivers into blood. But also given the opportunity here to repent. And the opportunity is given him. He has forewarned. He has forewarned again of what will happen if he refuses to let his people go. That they might serve the Lord. If he still refused, the borders of the land will be smitten again with frogs. Remember, he had been wicked in his, conduct of, in his conduct of Israel. We're thinking of one here who had rejected the reasonable request from the mouth of Moses and Aaron for Israel to be given leave to worship. He had rejected the sign of the rods being turned into the serpents. He had rejected the plague of the rivers being turned into blood. This was a rebellious leader over Egypt. And yet through his inter- this intercession of Moses, God still offers Pharaoh opportunity to escape from other punishments. Does the scriptures of Job 33 and verse 14 not seem applicable? You might say, what does that verse say? Well, it says this. For God speaketh once, yea, twice. Yet man perceiveth it not. How often has God spoken in tones of mercy and of grace? How often have you been the recipient of his goodness? Men and women today, let's remember this. If you're unsaved in this meeting house, that the Lord gives sins a rain upon the just and on the unjust. He gives life and breath to every creature. And you've been a recipient of his goodness. And yet you still have rejected him. How often has loved ones of yours been interceding earnestly in prayer for your soul. But you will not come to Christ. You will not bow the knee and acknowledge that you are that sinner that needs God's salvation. God has given you opportunity after opportunity. I want to take you to some solemn words of the Apostle Paul. We find them at the start of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2 to be exact. You look with me just here at verse 4. It's speaking about the judgment of God. 
And there's an askewed view of God's judgment in these days. And from many a pulpit. But the judgment of God will be according to truth. There'll never be any miscarriage of judgment. You hear about these sort of things in human courts. Miscarriages of judgment. Men supposedly judge wrongly and put in prison. There'll never be any of that. Because God is all, all justice. He's all holiness. He's all righteousness. And Paul reminds them, verse 4 of chapter 2, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. There are verses that seem to be very appropriate. When we're concerning, considering even the wrath of God that was poured out and judgments that were poured out upon Pharaoh and the nation. He had hardened his heart. He had an impenitent heart. He was only bringing to himself wrath, increasing it against the day of wrath. And so is the ungodly. So is the sinner today. Know this, that as Pharaoh rejected this intercession and the offer of mercy, the next plague was ordered by God. For mankind cannot always reject divine mercy without judgment following up upon it. And hence we have the time of respite concluded and what follows is the invasion. And it's an invasion of frogs. You look at the words of verse 3. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly which shall go up and come into thine house, into thy bedchamber, upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, upon thy people, into thy ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. The instinct of the frog. The instinct of the frog is to stay in the river, is to stay near water. But the instinct of the frog here is overruled by their creator God. The orders were given for Aaron to stretch out the rod over the rivers to cause the frogs to come up upon the land. And when I use the word invasion men and women, I use it exactly because that's how it was. Not only did they come up over the land... But they came into the houses, they came into their beds, they came into the kitchens, they, they were in their very ovens, in the kneading of the dough for the bread, they were found in the midst of that. This was a complete invasion in the palace as well as in the ordinary homes of the people. Not only was Pharaoh on his throne affected, but so were the servants, so were the people. The invasion is to the extent that we read at the end of the verse 6 that the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. They overwhelmed it. And when you're overwhelmed by something, it takes over. And that's just the picture I want you to get in your mind with the second plague. The frogs had taken over the land. And every house and all of the places. How much better it would have been for Pharaoh to have heeded the warnings. How much better it would have been for himself as well as the people that he ruled over. For him to use the time of respite well to his advantage to have repented. 
And so I trust, unconverted loved one, that you also would learn that lesson from this example in Pharaoh's life. It's better to meet with God in mercy and in grace rather than to meet with God in judgment. Because that's what we're witnessing here. And Pharaoh had opportunity. He had seven days of respite. He had heard the warnings, the forewarnings. And so is the sinner in the gospel. You have heard the warnings of the great judgment it is to come. And God has given you opportunity as we're still in the day of God's grace. And I say to you again, it's better to meet with God in grace and in tones of mercy and in judgment. But from the respite, I want you to notice the reasons here. Because the Lord always has a purpose in what he does. And if we look at this plague a little deeper, a little closer, we can see the reasons why it was so. The first reason was there is idolatry here amongst the people. Not only was the river Nile sacred in the eyes of the Egyptians, and that's of course one reason why God turned the rivers into blood. But it's obvious also that the frog was an object of worship for the Egyptian. And so God demonstrated that he was above all their gods. And all their gods were as nothing in his sight. And so he caused Egypt to be overrun with these frogs. Their ugly shape. Their crooking noise. Continually. Their smell would have made them particularly obnoxious in their sight. And the severity of this judgment can be noted in the vast number, the vast multitude of them. And as we've already alluded to, there was no escape from them. They're everywhere. And maybe the boys and girls like the frogs, like the tadpoles as you see them uh, before they become into the frog, etc. But I don't know what, what way the adults like frogs or not. If you can just imagine them everywhere. You couldn't put your foot in the ground without trampling on them. And croaking all around you. And even entering into the houses and uh, into the uh, preparation places for the meals. But to aggravate the situation even more so. Because the frog was one of their so-called gods. And men and women, when something becomes an idol to you, it soon becomes a curse. Because these plagues of the Egyptians were to become a curse. And they were to find this out. Because they were considered as a god, that meant that their religion forbid them to kill them. The frogs were an awful nuisance, but they couldn't be killed. They were sacrosanct. What a situation this was for the Egyptians, but one which they got themselves into because of their pagan theology. It caused them to be indefensible to this evil. And that's what sin makes us today. Today, there are environmentalists. Today, we have various animal rights, bodies, lobbies that protect nuisance animals. And all the while, normal, ordinary people can't build their houses. Or ordinary people can't develop their farmland. And yet, while there are laws to protect some animals, and yet, uh, by the way, I'm not against, I'm not for animal cruelty in any one way or shape or form. But I do remember that God has given command, given control unto mankind, unto Adam, 
over all the animals. But while there are laws to protect some animals, there are laws that do the very opposite where the unborn child is concerned. They're not protected. The reason? Because of pagan attitudes. Pagan attitudes that breed evil laws that curse the land. Exactly the same as here. The ironic thing about these frogs was that they were supposed to be the god of fertility. And now God punishes the land in that same manner for the frogs are in abundance. And they multiply. The so-called god of fertility was running wild and producing abundantly, covering the land of Egypt, but it was a curse to them. That's what gods become. They become a curse, the false gods. You'll also surely see here the infiltration of these frogs. I've touched a little on this. The scriptures make it clear they got everywhere. It wasn't just that they come up out of the rivers onto the land, but as we have seen from verse 3, they were in every house in the home. Dear people, I want to just home in on that. Is there not in that thought an application worthy of our consideration? And it's simply this. The frogs infiltrating the land symbolizes how sin infiltrates the lives of mankind. The frogs were in their beds. Sin prevents rest. The frogs were in their mouth, in their food. How much sin is found in what the sinner digests whether it is through the drugs or the drink of the world or those mind-altering drugs and all the rest of it, what they read. The frogs were to hear, were to fill their ears with a continual croaking. And sin does not produce pleasant sounds, but usually the opposite. And you see that in the rock music of this world. To give but one example. Young people be careful. What's on the iPhone or what's on the phone. And what you stick the earbuds into your ears for. The frogs were everywhere. And so is sin. In the mouth. In the mind, in the manners of people. For all have sinned that come short of the glory of God. You know the same truth was brought out by the prophet Isaiah in his opening chapter. Isaiah chapter 1. In the words of verse 6. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. There's the infiltration of these frogs. It's just a picture of symbolism of how sin will take you further than you ever want to go. Then you must see the imitation of this plague as we did with the first one. Look at verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. The magicians, not wanting to be undone, were to use their power from the devil to cause the same plague to be brought about. The strange thing about that is this, that there's no rhyme or reason to it. Why didn't they try and remove the frogs instead of multiplying them even further? The reason is that all 
anyone can do who turns from God is to make matters worse. Those who try and explain away the work of God as the work of others by so-called clever arguments only cause more trouble. And that's what these these magicians were about. Their actions only encouraged Pharaoh's hardness of heart and his unbelief. And hence, he wasn't interested in repentance. Magicians were unable to remove them. The magicians were unable to prevent them by erecting some sort of barriers. All that they could do was to cause more of them to come forth. And you know, so it is with the devil. He's unable to remove the evil that he has brought into God's perfect creation. He's unable to check it or to halt sin's progress. All that he can do is multiply wickedness. The last days will be known as days where iniquity will abound more and more. There's only one who can deal with the onward progression of sin. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the great sin bearer. For he came to this earth on a rescue mission for lost souls of men and women snared by sin and the devil. He came that he might set them free. He came that he might liberate them from the bondage that they were in. And he did so by his work of atonement on the cross. For he who knew no sin yet became sin for us. The perfect sinless Lamb of God was made sin on that cross. And on that cross he bore the judgment for sin that we ought to have borne. You want your sin removed as far as the east is from the west. And come in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise is this, he will in no wise cast you out. You know there's an interesting detail that I want just to leave with you before I move on. And that is, there's only one place in the New Testament where frogs are mentioned. And it's in Revelation. Revelation chapter 16. And the words of verse 13. And I'm not going to take time to read the opening verses, but if you do that, men and women, you go home, you will see that there's a comparison even to the plagues of Egypt in this very chapter. But it says in verse 13, it's the same comparison. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And the frogs are mentioned there because of what is said before. They're unclean. They symbolize uncleanness because that is the character of the devil's works and the false prophet and the beast as will be manifested mostly in the time of tribulation. That's the only time where they're mentioned because they bring out and cast in their mind back to their Old Testament scriptures and these chapters about the plagues, etc. They bring out the uncleanness. And yet despite all of these wonders, you'll see the end of example for verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which had power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Just like Pharaoh. I want you to notice finally the request here. For what we're brought to see is what seems to be a softening in the attitude of Pharaoh. 
For the first time it seems that he's backing down. Because he calls for Moses and Aaron. And the request that he makes for them to them is that the plague of frogs might be taken away. You see there in words of verse 8. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron said. Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And you can read over that verse very quickly and you can miss what's taught in it. You see, the priority in his request is all wrong. He's selfish. Note the order in which he speaks is, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. From me. He puts himself before the people and the land. He desired that the frogs be taken from him. And then he adds, from the people. Typically, He was looking out for himself before all others. And that's how it is often with a sinner gets into a tight place and they want God to deliver them and they've made all sorts of promises and just as quickly as they've got out of that tight situation they've forgotten all about the promise that they made from God uh, unto God. But men and women, if that is you today, remember this, God requires that which is past. You need to be very careful when you make a vow. Don't make a vow and not keep it. And maybe, maybe there's those that sit in their churches and in mission halls, etc. And they've promised, if you, Lord, you get me out of this situation, I'll get saved. And the Lord got them out of that situation, but they forgot all about that promise. The priority is wrong. But I want you to see this. If that's amazing to you, how more amazing is this one? You see his procrastination. He's asked by Moses, Oh, when would you like this done for you? When would you want me to entreat the Lord to take away the frogs? Look at verse 10. I said, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Why did he not want them with immediate effect to be taken away? He would have to sleep with the frogs another night. The people would have to be tormented by them for another day. But then the unconverted need not point the finger at old Pharaoh. But for that is the answer that many has given. As God's spirit has been striving and convicting you of your sin and the need of God's salvation. And you have said, not today Lord, tomorrow. You have answered just the same. For that's the way of the transgressor. They put off salvation to what they think is a more convenient time. And the Lord, he has given us an example of what that looks like. If you turn to Acts chapter 24, you'll see him. Acts 24, Paul, the apostle, standing before came. Verse 24 says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife to Scylla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. He heard him. And as he reasoned of righteousness, of temperance, and of judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. 
He trembled. But that's all he did. Go thy way, Paul. I'll, I'll hear you again. I'll hear you tomorrow. And men and women, verse 26, would tell us, I believe that he did hear him again, and he did hear him again and again. But you see, he never trembled again. For the day of God's opportunity was gone. He procrastinated. It's a big word, simply means put off. And he never was to have a more convenient season. Learn the lesson well, sinner. Sin will only prolong suffering and heartache. That's why you ought to heed the word of the Lord. Where he says, today. Today, if you'll hear my voice, harden not your heart. Now, as God speaks to you. Then you'll notice the problem with this request. Not merely that he had prepared to put it off for tomorrow, but it was preconditioned. In other words, he said that he would let the people go only if the frogs were removed. There's a condition there. The condition was the frogs had to be removed first, and the problem with it is this, that it made God's command submissive to Pharaoh's orders. That doesn't work. The problem was that Pharaoh wasn't sincere. For when the frogs were removed and he saw there was deliverance from the annoyance. Verse 15 tells it everything we need to know. But, there's the change of tone. When Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said, once out of trouble, Pharaoh, like many another, reneged on the promise and he returned to his old ways. I trust, I pray, I'm not preaching to one like that this morning. There's a final thought I want you to see. Pharaoh implored Moses to intercede for God to remove these, these frogs. He had his timing. He had his conditions. He had those things that none of which were in within his gift. You're going to be saved, man or woman, child, young person. You've got to come God's way, not in your conditions. And none of those things were within his gift. But as we have seen, he wasn't honorable to his word. Yet what a contrast we have when we consider God's servant Moses. Because you look at verse 10 again. And he said tomorrow, and he said, be, be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people and shall remain in the river alone only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried unto the Lord because of the plagues which he had brought against Pharaoh. There's no sincerity with Pharaoh, but there certainly is a sincerity with Moses. He had told Pharaoh he would entreat God. And you'll know, you'll know Pharaoh that God is the only true God. And for the, the frogs will be removed. And Moses did so. We read that he cried unto the Lord. See that word cried? That's a very strong word. It implies earnestness in prayer. 
And does that not challenge the hearts of God's people? Maybe we'd say maybe most of the application this morning's message has been to the unsaved. But here's a little truth. Here's a word for your soul if you're saved this morning. And that is the earnestness of Moses. Moses is earnest. He's sincere as he intercedes. He cries unto God on behalf of one who we would say was undeserving. He was a rebel. He had caused much hurt and harm to the people of God. But Moses praying earnestly here. He did the same. He interceded earnestly in Mount Sinai for the people below. Because the nation of Israel had sinned against God. And they were undeserving of the Lord's mercies too. And yet he intercedes earnestly for them. And he does so here on behalf of an old sinner like Pharaoh. I wonder is there an earnestness about us in our praying for the ungodly? Is there an earnestness when we come to the places of prayer throughout the church week? Never forget that the one whom you might describe as undeserving is no different to you or I. We are all deserving of God's wrath and of God's judgment. We're all deserving of a lost eternity, but for the grace and the mercy of God. It would be a blessing if we all learned to plead as earnestly for the souls of the lost as Moses does here for the removal of the frogs. Thank God we have one in the glory today whom we read ever lives to make intercession for us. And that is Christ himself. Because he is our saviour and he is our high priest. And dear loved one, if you're not saved, he can be the same to you ere you leave this house of God this morning. He can be your saviour. And he can be your high priest if you will yet Turn from your sin, repent of it, and seek his mercy. May you do so. May the Lord bless his word even to each heart this morning for his own name's sake.